John's Gospel, chapter 21, starting in verse 15, reading to the end of the chapter. Please give your attention as God's holy, inspired, and errant word is read in your hearing. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following, who also had leaned on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, But Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, If I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Then this saying went out among the brethren that this disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die, but if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies of these things and wrote these things. And we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Amen. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. All good things come to an end, right? I remember when I was younger, of course, uh, thinner, in better shape. When I was, I, I played um, you know, Little League baseball. I played baseball a little bit in, in high school, and that was kind of the extent of of my, my sports <laughs> life. Uh, uh, I knew my limits. I knew I wasn't going to go beyond uh, high school baseball. Uh, but when you're training, when you're working out, right, there's a phrase that they use, right? No pain, no gain, right? No pain, no gain. Uh, you do not get the gain unless you go through the pain. If you want uh, to be strong, if you want to be fit, if you want to be fast, you've got to go through the arduous work of training, of working out, of dieting, of exercising, of whatever it is that you want to do. No pain, no gain. And in the Christian life, uh, we see this principle as well, right? Uh, we see that as Jesus did in his life, we see that the road to glory goes through the cross, right? No glory, no cross, no glory, right? No humiliation, no exaltation. Jesus went the same path. He went the path of uh, 
glory through the cross. He went on the path of exaltation through the humiliation, and that's the life he calls us to as well. We call it a theology of the cross. It was something that uh, Martin Luther um, started to develop uh, early in the Reformation. A theology of cross, uh, the cross, uh, in contrast to a theology of glory, which says that we will have our best life now, that says that, that Christianity is all about uh, power and glory and exaltation without the pain. Well, there's no pain, there's no gain without the pain. There's no glory without the cross. And that's what we're going to see in this passage here as Jesus restores Peter. Right, we hinted at this a few weeks back, the last time we looked at John's Gospel, that this would be the restoration of Peter. Peter had denied his Lord. Peter had abandoned his Lord. Uh, Jesus told him that he would do this. And now we see Peter being restored. But we also see that Peter is going to be called to a life that is going to, in a sense, lead to a cross of his own. The same thing with John. We're going to see the witness of John. Really, this is sort of an a epilogue. You know, That's why we're calling it the epilogue, because really John concluded his gospel at the end of chapter 20. But this epilogue shows us Peter and John, John the author of this gospel, and, and the life that he would lead. It's going to be different than Peter's. But we see the restoration of Peter. We see the witness of John. And through it all, as we bring this gospel to a conclusion, as we bring this series to a conclusion, we're going to see here that Jesus restores us and calls us and promises his presence until he returns. Jesus restores us and calls us and promises his presence until he returns. We've got three parts here. And first, we're going to look at the restoration of a fallen disciple in verses 15 through 17. Look at these again with me, if you will. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Jesus answered, Peter answered Jesus, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. So here we see, as we come to the end of this gospel, a conversation. A conversation that follows what we saw last time as Jesus appears the third and final time, at least in John's gospel, to his disciples. Jesus appears to them. He eats with them. Uh, he has the miraculous catch of fish as the disciples go out fishing, uh, waiting for uh, whatever it is that Jesus had in store. And then after the dinner, after the breakfast, Jesus converses with Peter. He turns to Peter and he calls him. He says, Simon, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? A few things to note on this. First is that Jesus refers to Peter as Simon, son of Jonah. Right Early on in John's Gospel, 
when Jesus meets Peter for the first time, he is brought to him by Peter's brother, Andrew. Andrew brings Jesus to Peter and says to him, we have found the Messiah. We found the one whom we are looking for. And Jesus turns to Simon and says, you will be Peter. Your name is Peter. We see this also in the Synoptic Gospels when uh, they are at Caesarea Philippi and Jesus asks the disciples, who do people say that I am? And Peter speaks up and says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus turns to Peter and says, on the, you, know, you are now, you shall be known as Peter, uh, because on this rock I will build my church, and you are blessed, Simon Bar-Jonah. I will call you Peter. Here, Jesus seems to be referring to Peter by his given name, Simon, son of Jonah, Simon, son of John. Second thing to note is when Jesus says to him, do you love me more than these. The question is, what, what are the these? What does more than these mean? We'll look at that in a moment. The third thing here, too, is you may have, if you're using the New King James, uh, you may have here a footnote, particularly in Peter's response, where it says, you know that I love you. And there you may see, have affection for. Uh, in other words, the word that Jesus uses for love when he says, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And the word that Peter uses in response when he says, you know that I love you, are two different Greek words. The Greeks actually had three words for love. Uh, the first one is agape, which we use for that kind of divine love, the self-sacrificial love, the love that sees and meets the needs of another at your own expense. Then there's another kind of love, a filial love, a love that you would have for friends and family uh, and neighborly love. And then uh, the other form of love is a more physical type of love. So we see these two words here. And, and what are we to make of this? So what are we to make of the fact that Jesus refers to Peter as Simon? What are we to make of the fact that Jesus says, do you love me more than these? And what are we to make of the fact that Jesus uses a different word than Peter for love? Well, as I mentioned earlier, Jesus named Simon. He calls him Peter when he confessed Jesus as the Christ in Matthew 16, 18. When, when, Jesus, when Peter confesses Jesus as the Christ, that's when Jesus turns to him and says, you shall be called Peter. You shall be called a, a small rock because on the large stone, on the large rock, I will build my church. I will build my church on the confession that you have made, Peter. I will build my church on people, with people such as you who confess me to be the Christ. He names him Peter. Here we see in a sense by calling him Simon, it's like he's going back to way, the way he was before. Back to when, before he even knew who Jesus was. Back to when he was Simon son of Jonah. Peter had just denied his Lord. Peter had just done what he himself said he would not do. Peter had done what he said, that even if all the others do it, I will not do it. Peter had denied his Lord, in a sense had abandoned his calling, had abandoned his Lord. It's as if he reverted back from Peter to Simon. It's a reminder of who Peter was. 
as a reminder of who Peter was. When Jesus says, do you love me more than these, some will argue that the more than these means the fish that they caught. Do you love me more than fishing? And this is more in line with a, a, a way of thinking of this passage, the, the entire chapter, that when Peter and the disciples went fishing, they were sort of uh, abandoning their call to be the apostles. Others, and I kind of lean in this direction a little bit more, is more than these others, meaning the other disciples. Because who was it when Jesus said, Peter, you will deny me? In Matthew's gospel, Peter says to Jesus, even if all these others deny you, I will not deny you. So in a sense, Jesus is saying, do you still love me more than these, like you said you would when you denied me, when you said you would not deny me, even if all the others do? And then what are we, are to, what are we to make of the two different words here that uh, Jesus and Peter uses? Jesus uses agape love. Peter uses this filial love. Except in the third statement, in the third time when Jesus says, do you love me, in verse 17, he, he and Peter are using the same word there. Well, some want to play up the significance too much. They'll say, well, that Jesus is calling Peter, do you love me? Do you have this self-sacrificial love for me? Will you abandon all things and follow me and love me in a self-sacrificial way? And Peter is like, no, I can only give you filial love. I can only give you friendship love. Others want to downplay the significance too much and say that the words are completely synonymous. And there's a sense in which they are. I think there's a middle ground here. Again, Peter probably uses the lesser word because he had used the stronger word earlier when he said he would not deny him. And here, perhaps Peter, feeling ashamed, says, I, I cannot give you agape love. I cannot give you the self-sacrificial love because I've already shown myself to be a failure. I've already shown myself to be one who denies you. I, I said that I would not deny you. I said I would die for you. And yet, I failed. And yet, I failed. Peter had made some bold statements. Perhaps this is Peter's way of showing a little bit of humility. Perhaps this is Peter's way of showing a little bit of remorse over his great failure. And then the third time when Peter, or when Jesus asked Peter, we see that he is grieved. If you remember the last time uh, we looked at John, we looked at the earlier verses. Uh, we said that this morning breakfast, this morning meal was by a charcoal fire. And the same phrase is used for the charcoal fire that burned outside of Caiaphas's home when Jesus is on trial and Peter denied. Peter denied the Lord before a charcoal fire. And here we see Peter is about to be restored again before a charcoal fire. So as he's before the charcoal fire and he hears Jesus ask him three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Peter is remorsed. He is full of remorse. He is full of grief because he realizes that before a charcoal fire, he said, I do not know you. I do not know you. I do not know this man. Three times Peter denied the Lord and on the third time he wept bitterly and now in the third time Jesus asks Peter the question, he is grieved in his heart. He is grieved 
again, a painful reminder of his failure. Yet we know that Peter, or that Jesus knows about Peter's failure. In fact, that, I mean, he knew it, right? He told him he was going to fail. You will deny me before this night is out, on that night in which he was betrayed. You will deny me three times, Peter. You say you will die for me, you're going to deny me three times. You're going to deny me three times. Jesus knows Peter's failure. He knew he was going to fail. That's why in Luke's gospel he says, I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. Jesus knows Peter's failure. Jesus knows his brokenness. Jesus knows that Peter is a man of little faith like we all are. He knows his frailty. Yet, notice what Jesus is doing here. Through these statements, he is reinstating Peter. He is calling him again in a sense. Right? Peter had reverted back to Simon and he's calling him again out of his, his, his uh, sense of identity of being Simon and calling him back to being Peter. Three times, do you love me? Three times, you know that I love you. Three times, feed my lambs. Tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. Peter, I said to you, upon this rock I will build my church and I'm going to call you back into service. I'm going to reinstate you back to being an apostle. I'm going to reinstate you back to the charge of being a shepherd of my sheep. Feed my, feed my sheep. Who are the sheep? These are the people that Jesus gives his life for, right? In John chapter 10, I know my sheep. I know them by name. I call them. I give them life. I lay my life down for them. Peter, these are the ones I want you to feed. These are the ones I want you to care for. These are the ones I want you to tend. You are to shepherd them. You are to shepherd them. Just as I am the great shepherd, I am calling you now, Peter, to be a shepherd under me. Jesus builds his church. Again, think of the miraculous catch of fish. In the, earlier, in the other Gospels, in the first time that he does this catch of fish, he says, you will now be fishers of men. Jesus builds his church. The, the, the disciples have to do the work of going out there, of fishing, and Jesus will bring the miraculous catch of fish. He, but he calls us to feed and tend the sheep. What an awesome and sacred pr privilege it is to be called to feed and tend the sheep. And beloved, we are just as weak, we are just as frail as Peter is. We are all Peter, right? We are all Peters. We are just as frail, just as weak, just as prone to failure as Peter has failed. But the Lord calls us anyway. What an amazing thing to think that the Lord calls people like Peter to build the church. That the Lord calls people like us to be the church. That the Lord calls people like me and like other ministers to build this church. Who am I? Who is Peter? Who are we? We're failures. We're weak. We're frail. We're prone to deny the Lord. Yet the Lord is pleased to use us, to call us. And when we fail, he restores us. Peter, your life is not done. That's what he's saying here. 
I will restore you because I'm going to use you, Peter. I'm going to use you to build my church. Jesus is a reclaimer of broken things. Jesus is a reclaimer of broken things. Secondly, let's look at the destiny of a restored disciple in verses 18 and 19. After the third time, Jesus says, feed my sheep. Then he says, most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. So after restoring Peter to the ministry, Jesus makes an ominous statement in verse 18, and he begins it by saying, most assuredly, uh, if you have a different translation, it may say, truly, truly. If you had the old King James, it would say, verily, verily. It is, it is this phrase, amen, amen. We've seen this formula in the Gospel of John many, many times. Jesus uses this as the preface to what he's about to say. We say, amen after we say something because we pray that it would be so but Jesus is saying look truly truly what I'm about to tell you is gospel truth believe it truly truly I say to you Peter and he mentions Peter's youth Peter remember when you were Simon you used to get up and do whatever you wanted and you dressed yourself and you went wherever you wanted you used to gird yourself you went wherever you wished you did whatever you wanted. You fished, whatever. This is his life before Jesus calls him. But then he goes on to speak when Peter is old. He says, but now, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This idea of stretching out the hands is a is a sign of crucifixion. Is a sign of crucifixion because your hands are usually stretched out when you're crucified. Another will dress him. Another will lead him where he does not wish to go. In other words, this calling I'm calling you to, Peter, is one that's going to lead to the cross. I've called you to tend my sheep, to feed my sheep. And this is a calling that is going to lead you to a cross of your own. And we see here in verse 19 that this was signifying. Jesus said this thing to signify, to give a sign, to indicate by what death Peter would glorify the Lord. And Peter would glorify the Lord through his ministry and through his martyrdom. Church tradition tells us in various extra-biblical sources that Peter died in the end of the sixth decade of the first century, 67, 68 AD, give or take. He died at the hands of Emperor Nero. And legend has it that he was crucified upside down. And the reason was because he said, I'm not worthy to be crucified in the manner that my Lord was crucified. So they crucified him upside down. And he said, this is how he would glorify God. Psalm 116, verse 15. 
you get this interesting verse in Psalm 116. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Not that the Lord wants us to die, but the Lord is glorified when we die well for him. The Lord is glorified when we give our lives as a fragrant aroma of thankfulness to the Lord. When we carry our crosses, if you will, we are pleasing to the Lord. And the reason is because, as Paul will say in Philippians, you know the passage well, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Paul knew this Precious in the sight is the death of his saints. He knew that all too well in his own life. Paul gave his life, literally and figuratively, to the service of the Lord. Paul was a, a tireless worker for the Lord. But he says in chapter 1, verse 20 of Philippians, According to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. May Christ be glorified in my body, whether I live or die, as he says. And then he goes on, for to me is to, to live as Christ, to die as gain. My life as I'm living it is one to be lived for the glory of the Lord. My death then is gain, because now I go on to be with my Lord. And as Paul will say later, in Philippians 1.29, for to you, writing to the Philippians, it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Hear that, church. It has been granted to you not only to believe in Christ, but to suffer for his sake. Are all of us going to suffer like Peter or Paul? No. Some of us will suffer like John, as we'll see in a moment. But he says, your life, Peter, is going to lead to your own cross. I'm calling you to a life of bearing your own cross. I'm calling you to a life in which you will die in this way. It is indeed a great privilege to serve the Lord. But that call to serve isn't a call to a life of pleasure and ease. It is not our best life now, beloved. It's not our best life now. It is one in which we've been called not only to believe, but also to suffer for his sake. It is a call to lay one's life down in service to the Lord. I think of Paul at his last letter, when he writes to Timothy, his second letter, it's his last letter chronologically. And at the end of that letter, he says, I am ready to be poured out as a drink offering. 2 Timothy 4, verses 6 through 8, he says, I, My life is a drink offering. My life is an offering to be poured out as the Lord sees fit. And then he goes on to say, I have finished the race. Right? I have kept the faith. I have fought the good fight. And then he says, And then there is laid up for me a crown, which the Lord himself will crown me with. Same thing with Peter. Peter, in his second letter, he knew the time was near as well. In 2 Peter chapter 1, 
says, knowing shortly that I must put off my tent just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Peter writes to his readers so that they will know the great salvation that he has. And he he wants to say one last word to them because he knows that his time is short. He says, I know I have to put off this tent. And then borrowing, if you will, words that Paul uses in 2 Corinthians when he says this tent, this mortal body is something that is to be put off so he could put on the glorious new body that we'll have in glory. Peter says, I put off this tent shortly just as our Lord showed me, just as our Lord showed me. It is indeed a great privilege to serve the Lord in whatever way he calls us to. Well, finally, let's look at the witness of a beloved disciple in verses 20 through 25. After Jesus says this to Peter, Peter turns and sees John. And he says, well, what about him? <laughs> what, what about this man? And some have wondered, it's like, is Peter like, well, what about John? Is he going to die for you too? Or maybe he's concerned. I kind of like to... Give him the benefit of the doubt. Maybe John, Peter is concerned about John. Is John going to die? Is he going to be crucified upside down? Is he going to have his hands stretched out like you say that I will? What about John? Some say it's deflection. Some say genuine concern. Ah, I'll lean for genuine concern. Give him the benefit of the doubt. Jesus says to Peter, If I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. In other words, don't focus on what I have in store for John. Focus on what I have in store for you. Your call, Peter, is to follow me. You follow me. I will take care of John. John will have his own thing. Don't worry. Uh, You follow me. And then John himself adds here, says, then the saying went out among the brethren that this disciple himself would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him, that he would not die, but if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? Now we know John's story, right? John's story is very different than Peter's story. Peter was martyred by Emperor Nero. John lived a long life, a long life. He was very young when he was called uh, by Jesus, and he lives to the near, near the end of the first century. He writes his gospel, he writes three epistles, and he receives the revelation of Jesus Christ all near the end of his life. We know that he wrote, particularly the revelation was received when he was in exile. He did not, uh, he was not martyred in the sense of being put to death, if you will, by the government, but he was martyred in the sense that he was put in exile for his teaching. We knew that he uh, ministered to the church in Ephesus later, in the first century, John's life was very different. We're not all called to give our lives in the sense that Peter is. Maybe some of us are going to be like John. Maybe some of us will be granted a long life, but a life, again, of service to the Lord. And here's the interesting thing, too, right? Jesus says to Peter, if he remain till I come, what is that to you? No, you could say in a sense that John did see the return of Christ, right? He received the revelation of Jesus Christ, which is foretelling of the return of Christ at the end of the age. Either way, Peter, John, again, two different uh, callings 
the same call to follow Jesus, but two different uh, ways to get about it. One will have a martyr's life. The other will have an exile's life. But then John concludes his gospel by saying that the disciple who testifies or witnesses or bears witness to these things and wrote these things, this is the disciple, the one who will live, the one who will live until he sees Christ return. He wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. And then in verse 25, and there are many, also many other things which Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself cannot contain the books that would be written. Amen. John concludes his gospel by saying, this gospel that I've written to you, this is my testimony. This is me bearing witness to the ministry and life of Jesus Christ, his words and his works. I wrote these so that you will believe. I wrote these for you to believe that Jesus is the Christ, that you will have life in his name. I wrote these in my testimony. My witness is true. This whole gospel is one of testimony, of witness. It begins with, a, in a sense, a witness of the pre-incarnate glory of Christ as he is, becomes incarnate and we see his glory. And then it begins with the witness of John the Baptist and ends with the witness of John the Evangelist. And he says, there's so many more things I could have told you about Jesus. So many more things that if they were all written, the world would run out of paper and ink. But what he included in this gospel, what the Holy Spirit inspired him to write, is sufficient. Is sufficient to accomplish the purpose for which he wrote this gospel. Thus we are at the conclusion of John's gospel. is John's testimony to the events that he witnessed. And this is a beautiful postscript, if you will, on this book. A beautiful postscript. And we see the restoration of Peter and Jesus' call for him to follow him in the cruciform life. To follow that cruciform life of suffering to glory, of cross to glory, of humiliation unto exaltation. It's beautiful because we are all broken vessels like Peter. We are all reclamation projects, right? As Paul will say in 1 Corinthians, he who began a good work will complete it. We are works in progress. God reclaims us for his purposes and for his glory. And the call of the gospel is a call, as we saw earlier, to a theology of the cross. It is a call to, again, suffer unto glory. It is a call to give yourself for the gain that awaits us. Jesus calls us to follow him. What was the road that Jesus took? Jesus. The road from suffering to glory. We see this so beautifully portrayed in Philippians chapter 2 when we see the humiliation of Jesus, how he left the glories above to come in, take on the form of a servant, and live an obedient life that ended with his obedience to death on a cross. And then we're told that then he was exalted. Then God glorified him. Then he went back up to heaven and was given the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he is Christ to the glory of the Father in heaven. 
passage I've referenced many, many times, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, where the writer of Hebrews says of Jesus that uh, for the joy that was set before him, he uh, endured the cross. Jesus knew the path he had to take that would end in joy. He said that path goes through the cross and that path, uh, I despise the shame. I endure the cross to receive the joy. The life that Jesus calls us to, just as he called John and Peter, is a cruciform life. It is a theology of the cross that we follow him from humiliation to exaltation. The good news, of course, beloved, is that Jesus does not call us to walk a path that he himself has not trod. Jesus walked this path before us, and he promises us his presence until he returns. What are the words that Jesus closes Matthew's gospel with as he gives them the good commission? First, he says, all authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. I have been granted all authority. I have been exalted to the right hand of God the Father. I have all authority. Now go. This is your mission. Go. Feed my sheep. Tend my sheep. Make disciples. Baptize them. Teach them. And then the promise. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I am with you always. You are not alone. I am with you. It's what he promised the disciples in the upper room when he said, I have to go. I have to depart from this world. And I will pray that the Father, he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. But you know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Jesus promises us His presence. He says, I will be with you until the end of the age. How is that made manifest? In the fact that He gives us the Spirit, the Spirit who dwells in us. We can follow Him no matter what, because he is with us. And if we believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, we have life in his name. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to the end of this glorious gospel of John, I pray, O Lord, that my own feeble efforts have been sufficient to bring forth the glories of Christ, that He is the Son of God, and that by believing in Him we have life in His name. I pray, O Lord, that this has been an edifying journey for us as a church to go through this gospel. I pray, Lord, that we will not forget this gospel, that we will revisit it time and time again to have our faith strengthened, to be encouraged by the witness of John, by the discipleship of Peter. that we see here as Jesus restores Peter back to service, as Jesus relies on the testimony of John, as we see these two different lives, Lord, called to your service, two different outcomes, but the same calling to follow you.
I pray, Lord, that we will follow you as well, that we will hear this call, that we will go forth into this world as your witnesses, whether that leads to a cross or to an exile. We know that it leads through suffering to glory because you are with us forever. We pray this all in Jesus' name.